Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. My name's, uh, my name's Peter. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we're glad that you're with us, either in person, joining us online, wherever you're at. Um, but we're, uh, we're cranking through this series in James. We're going to be in James chapter 3 today, so you can flip open to James 3, click open. If you've got a device, you can do it that way as well. We're going to be hanging out in the front half of the chapter, uh, but be sure, be sure to read the, uh, the entire thing later on. Lots of good good nuggets in there. While you're flipping open, uh, I want to share a story with you. I had a, uh, a teacher when I was in eighth grade named Mr. Gannon, uh, and Mr. Gannon was notorious for being the easiest teacher in junior high. Anybody have a teacher like that? It was like, you just have to breathe and you'll get an A. Okay. So everybody wanted to, wanted to be in his class all the time. And I had a friend of mine um, who was his son. His name was, was Tommy. And so Tommy and I, we kind of grew up together and Mr. Gannon was uh, my coach on numerous different teams and different things like that, but I really, in eighth grade, I wanted to get into his political science class, is what it was called, um, and really what it was is he would just buy the morning newspaper and walk up to the podium and just talk about whatever was going on uh, in, the, uh, in the world that day, um, but, uh, but I remember getting into that class, and uh, you could sit wherever you want, and people would like sit on the floor sometimes, sit at his desk, whatever, like didn't matter, um, tenure, am I right? Um, and... Uh, Anyway, um, so he's, he's telling us this story about a time when, when, when he was growing up, and his, name, his first name is Joe, um, and so Joe and his friends are growing up in, in Philadelphia, and it's him and three of his buddies, and um, so they decide a, a great thing for them to be able to do would be to just like prank call people. We're going to call random numbers and prank call people, right? Everybody's done something stupid like that. And so it starts off fairly, uh, fairly innocent and, uh, you know, hello, is your refrigerator running? Yes. Well, you better go catch it, right? Like dumb things like that. And then what happens when a bunch of guys get together, and I've shared this before, is I had another teacher who would call it testosterone poisoning. And so the more men you get into a room, the more guys you get into the room, the dumber they tend to get. They are poisoned by the amount of testosterone that's in the room. And so things get progressively worse and worse for, uh, for these prank phone calls, start getting a little more crude and different things like that. And so finally got to a point where uh, Mr. Gannon, Joe Gannon's uh, buddies were like, all right, Joe, you're up. Next person that we call, I just want you to cuss them out. Like, say every bad word that you possibly know, right? Like, anything that you know that could offend this person, you say that to them. And so he's hyped up, like, yeah, all right, let's go. So his friend dials the number, and Joe goes off, and he does, he does what he's supposed to do. And then after he is done with that, it is silent on the other end of the phone for just a second. And then the person says, Joe, get home right now. Mr. Gannon's best friend had actually called his mom, right? And I don't know about you, but there's very few things in this world that I would like to do when I was 13 years old than call my mom and say every single bad word that I had heard, every single word that I had, con- had, had context or didn't have context for in my entire vocabulary to my mom. But, but as I was thinking about that, it got me thinking about, like, why is that bad, though? Like, why is that bad? Like, Joe's mom didn't get hurt. Joe probably got hurt later on, but Joe's mom did not get hurt in that, in that time frame, right? Nothing, nothing really physically altering to her in that, in that, I don't know, phone call or anything like that. But why is that so bad? And the answer is, of course, because, because words have meaning, right? Words have power. 
The words that, that you and I use impact the world around us in a very real way, right? Like if I wake up in the morning and I'm grumpy and hypercritical of the people around me, I say things to my family or I say things to my st- staff or I say things even to the person who's making coffee for me in the morning or anything like that, like I am not doing anything to help anybody at that point. With my words, I'm helping no one. All I am doing is projecting my bad attitude onto other people through my words. Like words make a huge impact on people. I can remember a number of times in my life when people have said things to me that stuck. Things that were either compliments or encouragements or others that were very critical in different times like that, right? Like we tend to remember the high points and the very low points oftentimes. I remember when uh, we were... We, when I was in high school and I was, uh, we were playing in the playoffs and, uh, for my water polo team, and I had missed like four shots in a row. And I was frustrated coming back, and we're losing, and my coach just looked at me, and he said, Pete, keep shooting. It's going to fall. Like, I, I, I remember it as plain as day. I remember his words of encouragement to me, saying, hey, look, continue to do this. I remember my wife saying, I love you to me for the first time right? I remember where we were. I remember the surroundings. I remember all of those, all of those things. I remember uh, when my dad died, my mom hugging me and saying, you are his legacy, right? I remember those words incredibly vividly. And these are things that have stuck with me, and partially because of the immensity of the moments that I found myself in, but also because the words themselves had deep meaning to me, specifically at the time, right? Those words helped shape and move me forward, Those words kind of gave me assurance as to who I was, confidence in the tasks at hand or commitments made to me forever. Your words matter. James is largely going to talk about that, and the Bible talks about it a ton. We like to pretend, though, oftentimes that words that are coming out of our mouth are simply not that big of a deal. We simply think to ourselves, well, it's not that, they're they're just words. Words can't Words can't harm you. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because we grew up with phrases like actions speak louder than words, right? And we think, okay, words aren't, aren't as big of a deal, which I think is true uh, when it comes to follow through. But if you promise someone to do, if you promise you're going to do something for somebody, you don't follow through on that promise, you're going to think that you're a flake, right? Like you're just going to think that, that person is a, a, is a flake. Not just because you didn't, you didn't do it, but because you said you were going to. But beyond just being a flake, I think you could probably think about the last time maybe that someone was upset with you, that maybe that person said something negative or demeaning towards you, or maybe you said something negative or demeaning towards them, and that weighs on you. Uh, You could probably tell me maybe about the last time that someone complimented you, or maybe at least the time that someone complimented you and it meant a lot to you, right? Words are very, very powerful, and they're more than whether or not how good you feel after an encounter with someone. Right? Your words matter because if you have said yes to Jesus, you, like, you are a representative of, of his. And as a representative of Jesus, you have the opportunity to either steer conversation towards honoring him with your words or dishonoring him with your words. Those are your two options. So I guess the question today becomes, do your words honor, truly honor, who Jesus is in your life? Because remember, this entire series, this entire book is about kind of the, the marks of a mature Christian. What should a mature Christian look like? What should your language, the way that you communicate with people, what you say as a mature Christian, what should that sound like? Because I'm sure every single in person in here struggles with some sort of t- sin when it comes to how we communicate. And think about it for you, right? Maybe it's lying. Yeah, you're simply lying. Like that comes out of your mouth, right? That is a sin of, of the mouth. And we'll talk about the, the depths of that in a little bit, but, but maybe it's lying. 
or maybe it's gossip, or maybe it's indiscretion, or exaggeration, or being boastful, or saying too much, right? I love the Bible talks about just talking too much in general, like just shut it down, just stop talking, right? Uh, Speaking too quickly, maybe without knowing the background as to everything that's going on, being quarrelsome, cussing, speaking too harshly, or maybe the worst, and one of the ones that we don't oftentimes think about, is failing to speak up when we should be telling people about Jesus, right? All of these things are, are sinful things. All of these things come from our mouths. You are on that list somewhere, I promise, and if you're not, ask the person who came with you. They'll let you know, right? You're on that list, and, and, and can I just say for a second, the church struggles with two of these things more than any other, and not just our church, but churches in general. If you walk into the vast majority of churches in America, you'll see two things that cannibalize the church from the inside out. Okay, the first thing and the biggest one that I see is unchecked gossip in the church. Right? Unchecked gossip will cannibalize the church. And the other one is you see people who claim that Jesus is the most important person in the world to them. You see them clapping. Great job on clapping today, by the way. That was a big step forward for a lot of you. Okay? But clapping, worshiping Jesus, singing songs that talk about Jesus and worshiping him in a very real way. And then they'll leave here and they'll never talk about Jesus for the rest of the week until it's time to come back in here and sing more songs and maybe hesitantly clap a little bit and and nod an affirmation that, yes, I love Jesus, but only when I'm here, not out there. So we are omitting the things that we should not be omitting. So those are the two biggest things, and specifically gossip. I hate gossip, especially in the church, man. All it does is serve to inflate the ego of the person talking and cast shame onto the person that they're talking about. Proverbs talks about it all the time. Proverbs 20:19. it says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so, any, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Like, they're gossiping? Sweet. Don't talk to them. Avoid them, actually. And gossip never serves to make anything better, ever. Like 100% of the time, it makes things worse. It forces people to jump to conclusions. It makes people have overly emotional, visceral reactions to, to news that may or may not even be true. And it, it, like, it, it's gross, and it eats churches from the inside out. Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Read that again. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. It's funny, the other night... Um, my boys had a friend over. They had a, we did a fire out in our backyard, in our fire pit. And, and they're telling stories. And like boys do, they're just throwing things in the fire. Like, don't throw things in the fire. They keep throwing things in the fire, right? And they get bored after a while. And they go inside. And, and you know what happened to the fire? It went out. You know why? Because we weren't feeding the fire anymore. Like, that's just how it works. It's the same with gossip and quarreling. Like, if there is quarrels among you, stop gossiping about those quarrels. And guess what's going to happen? They're going to go away. Very easy, very simple object lesson. Why? Because you're not feeding them anymore. So all of these things, they're sins that we deal with when it comes to controlling our tongues. So in typical James fashion, James is going to go ahead of us and lay it out for us in very black and white way. So let's look back to chapter 1 for just just for a second. James chapter 1, it's verse 26. And this is going to frame the entire rest of the message today. It says, those who consider themselves religious, so just... Take notice of yourself for a second. Do you consider yourself religious? Okay, do you consider yourself somebody who loves Jesus, somebody who wants to know Jesus in a more real way? So those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. What are you deceiving yourselves from? Actually loving Jesus. And their religion is worthless. 
So those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So James wastes no time here. James jumps straight in. If you consider yourself to be religious, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, but you say whatever it is that you want to say, you are deceiving yourself. You don't actually love Jesus. You aren't actually religious at all. If you're just letting your tongue do whatever it is that you want to do, like your religion is worthless worthless if you can't keep a tight rein on it. So how do you know if you're a mature Christian? Is your tongue in check? Or are you gossiping? Oh, you're gossiping? You don't actually love Jesus. That's what this verse is saying. You are, you are deceiving yourself. Oh, you're swearing every chance you get? You don't actually love Jesus. Oh, you aren't, you aren't talking about Jesus with those who don't know him? You don't actually love Jesus then. Church, we are deceiving ourselves in a very real way. You know how I know? Because we don't have a rein on our tongue. It seemingly controls us. And so James now is going to jump, and we're going to jump to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to cut it up a little bit, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Let me call a timeout right there for just a second. When we're talking about the idea of spiritual maturity, what we keep saying James is going back to over and over and over again, we are talking about becoming more like Christ. And so James says here in verse 2, anyone who is never at fault is indeed perfect. That's the maturity we're talking about, being more like Christ, becoming perfect. So our goal is to become more and more mature, become more and more perfect, more and more holy like Jesus. Verse 3, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a word of evil, excuse me, a world of evil living among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So let's go back up. The first warning James gives is kind of an interesting one and one that doesn't seemingly fit with the rest of this narrative because everything that he's talking about right here is the idea of like taming your tongue, tame your tongue. But he leads off this chapter with, hey, don't aspire to be a teacher. Do your best actually not to be a teacher. James says that many shouldn't become teachers, and it seems counterintuitive, right? Why would James say that Christians should rethink the idea of becoming teachers, right? James can't be saying that no one should be a teacher because then there would be no one to preach the gospel. In fact, Paul said that God gave shepherds, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. God wants teachers. James is saying, hey, don't aspire to be one. I think we can infer here a little bit. There were Christians who were saying, why don't I get my turn in the pulpit? How come he gets to share? Like, I want to go up and share. I want to to be on stage and share that message. And I think there were people then, as there are today, who see the teacher as having like a glorious 
position, right, with the opportunity to stand in front of the group and to share. And there's benefits from it, absolutely. But James is also saying, hey, be careful. There's not just benefits. You're actually going to be judged more harshly. And it kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Like, do you want to be judged more strictly? Well, the question then becomes, well, why, why then would teachers become or be, be judged more strictly? James explains it in verse 2. It says, the reason teachers will be judged with stricter judgment is because we all stumble in many ways. But one of the main ways that we stumble is with our words. It talks about we have many weaknesses and points of falling short of, of God and, and His desire and God's will, but one area that we stumble is in what we say. So the implication is fairly clear. If you are a teacher, you are going to be talking about Jesus more than most. And so because of that, the words that you share are going to be judged. So the more often you share, the more often you are talking about Jesus, the more strict your judgment is going to become. Simply, simply stated, teachers have to talk more right? And some days I want to talk more than other days. So depending on how preachy, maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's 45 minutes. I don't know. We'll see. Um, sorry, what's the Christian way to say that? We'll see what the Holy Spirit wants me to share. Okay. So, but it's not that God is just judging us like teachers differently than other Christians. Is it just that teachers speak more than those who don't teach and therefore are more words to be judged by God? But verse 2, it also reveals the idea that James' ad, James' attitude kind of about the tongue. Where he says, anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying, hey, look, if you can keep your tongue in check, you can be perfect. Like, that's, that's what it's saying. If you're never at fault in what you say, then you are perfect. The person who control the tongue is a complete, perfect, mature Christian. And his point is that controlling the tongue is difficult, right? The person who can control the tongue is clearly a person who has developed some sort of spiritual control over it. And then James goes on and he kind of explains why the tongue has to be controlled. And he uses a whole bunch of metaphors, which are very, very helpful for a person like me. The first one is a bit in a horse's mouth. Okay, any horse people in the room? Any horse people? Okay, one, awesome. If I would have asked that 100 years ago, the hand would have been, I mean, everybody, right? Um, yeah, so I, I grew up not a horse person, per se. Okay, I think I, I think I rode one horse all the way up to, uh, to high school um, and uh, just wasn't a horse person. I was more of like a riding in a car person to places. Um, and uh, so anyway, so my friend and I, um, we were in high school and, and we got to host our home, like our homecoming, our football homecoming. We were the hosts, okay? We didn't get nominated. We just got to put it on. And so everybody, you know, they come out in the cars and do all that stuff. Well, him and I got to like lead the processional and we got like top hats and, and, and a tuxedo with like tails like we were trying to do it up and they were like you know what else we should do we should we should ride horses out there this was not my idea this was his idea this is a friend of mine who grew up riding horses right and I was like that sounds that sounds awesome let's let's ride horses when can I practice and he's like oh I don't think we have time for you to practice man you're just gonna have to show up and do it I was like, hold on, this is a massive animal. I have no, no clue what I'm doing. And the first time that I'm going to get onto this horse is in front of a, a, an entire stadium full of people, the entire student body, and I'm going to lead a processional with you next to me all the way to the backside with a horse that I have never ridden before. He's like, yeah, I'm like, all right, cool. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here, right? So we get there that night, and the first thing I realized is there is a very distinct difference in horses between mine and his right? His is like this big, massive, black, stallion-looking, like, awesome thing, and I think I had, like, rode like his grandma. Um, 
Like it was like two hands shorter and just like sad. And like, I think this was a pit stop on the way to the glue factory for me. So, or for, for him, not for me, different. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, anyway, so it gets there and we get on the horses and, you know, we're just trotting along. It's on the track. And I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad, right? And so we get in front of our, our home stadium. And then all of a sudden, my friend, he looks at me and he's like, hey, you ready? I'm like, ready for what? He's like, just, we're, we're going to go for it. I was like, no, we are going for it. Like, this is the speed that we are going. He's like, no, let's go for it. And so he kicks his horse, right? And his, his horse takes off and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. And all of a sudden my horse is like, you're not going to beat me, horse. And so my horse starts galloping too. And they have this whole thing recorded. And so we watch it back and there is a look of sheer terror on my face. Because I, I wish I had the video to show you because I had no clue what I was doing. All I knew is I was on this massive creature that could kill me anytime he wanted to kill me. And I had these two leather straps that I was supposed to steer this thing with, right? So eventually we got to the end. I got off the horse, breathed a sigh of relief, got my cane, and we walked out. And it was great, right? Like we hosted the whole, the whole thing and it was fun. Okay, but here we have a guy who, who has grown up with horses, who has become more and more mature, understands how to control a horse, with this just tiny little bit in the horse's mouth, this massive, beautiful, terrifying creature has so much power, but it's controlled by this just one little bit in its mouth and does exactly what it is that the mature person wants it to do. That the person who has grown up with it, who has learned to control it, wants it to do. And there was me who was like, I, like, I literally could have thrown the reins and I would have been like in the same spot that I ended up with on that horse. Why? Because I had no control over it. I had no clue what it was that I was, that I was doing. And so that's how, that's how James kind of starts off here, right? The bit is what riders use to kind of control the whole body of the horse. And he says the same thing largely about the rudder of a ship. And there's this massive ship and the winds can kind of, wind and waves can kind of blow it to and fro and that sort of thing. But there's this tiny little rudder on the back of the ship that's going to be able to steer the entire thing. And James expressly states in that one that the pilot of the ship has control over it with the rudder. Someone has control over the entire body in both of these first two illustrations, right? And then the last one, a small fire, right? And this illustration Hell, a small fire can set ablaze a great forest. I don't think any of us need the metaphor on that. Like we are all very aware of what a small fire can do to a, uh, a forest. We see it in California all the time. One of the saddest drives is that you're driving up to Shaver Lake and see all of the destruction out there, right? These are tiny things that make a massive impact. Your words have a massive impact whether you think they do or not. And so James then moves to his next point about why it is that we need to control the tongue. Verse 6 is a little bit slippery when we're talking about all of these verses, but it talks about the idea that the tongue has destructive power. It is itself a fire with the, fire, uh, with the power to set fire to, to relationships, right? So it's not only does the tongue kind of corrupt the whole person, but it sets fire and it wreaks havoc throughout people's lives, Careless words can destroy relationships, destroy lives. We hurt feelings, ruin relationships. We hurt our own lives even by our tongues, right? We get ourselves uh, into all sorts of trouble because we are not slow to speak, as James 1.19 largely talks about. Did you see that James says the tongue pollutes the entire body, which is an interesting way to see it. We need to see that our tongues are actually corrupting us, which is interesting, that our tongues are corrupting us. The words that we say corrupt our hearts, right? If we speak with crude language, we're corrupting our hearts and we're corrupting our thinking. 
Right, it's been James' point, the tongue controls the body. When our tongues are foul and not godly and not pure, then our bodies are going to follow suit. When we gossip and speak malicious words, then we become ugly people with dark hearts. When we lie in order to make ourselves look better or to stay out of trouble, we are becoming deceptive and untrustworthy. Beyond that, our words change people. Our words, our tongues set fire to the course of human existence. I mean, think about some of those compliments, some of those encouragements, some of those different things that I heard when I was younger, right? When I was in high school, my coach told me to keep shooting, keep shooting. You know what I did? I went back in and I kept shooting. Why? Because he told me to do so. His words had power. What would have happened if I came in to that huddle and he would have said, hey, Pete, stop shooting, pass the ball. What would I have done? I would have stopped shooting. I would have passed the ball. Why? Because words have power. But then James shares with us some irony in verses seven and eight which is always good. Humans, he says, has been able to tame all these sorts of animals. All these other animals have been tamed, but we can't tame our own tongues, right? He says the tongue is essentially more difficult to tame than any of the wild animals. It's a restless evil, as he says, and it's full of deadly poison. And it's almost like the tongue is compared to a venomous viper at that point. This thought leads to his final point. The James talks about how hypocritical we actually are at least with our words. With our tongues, we bless the Lord, and then we curse people who are made in the very image of God, is what he says. From the same mouth flows blessings and curses. So how is this possible? Why do we do this? I don't know, but it is certain that we do. One moment, we can be saying these beautiful, uplifting words, and the next moment, we completely and totally tear a person down with our words. So let us feel just the force of James' words here when he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. That's what he says there in verse 11. This should not be. Essentially, this is, just, this is just plain wrong. This has a connection back to the double-minded person in James 1.8. We're not, we're not fully dependent and loyal to Jesus. We're duplicitous in our nature. We have not surrendered our tongue to Jesus. We haven't decided to bridle our tongues. We just kind of speak our minds and say, that's just the way I am. Deal with it. That's just how I communicate. Deal with it. Let me tell you, we cannot be God-focused and have a critical, gossiping, lying tongue. Those two things do not go together. And James says it's possible. One pastor said it this way, our words of worship should condemn our consciences for all the things we have used our mouths for this week. How is it that our mouths are praising God when we said the kind of things we said to other people yesterday? How can our mouths claim Jesus to be Lord when last week we said all kinds of improper things? I'd even want to push it a step further, though. I think we have gotten so comfortable in kind of our performance-based Christianity that we don't even realize oftentimes that our words can be sinful. This is what I mean by our performance-based Christianity. The way you talk here is different than the way you talk out there. It's true. The amount of times, especially when I was a youth pastor, it was great when I was a youth pastor, that a student would like cuss in front of me as a youth pastor, and like another kid would like hit him, and he's like, bro, you're at church, you can't say that. I'm like, yes, because this is the only place where Jesus resides, is right here in this church, <laughs> right? But that's how we think. We think, oh, we're at church, we have to talk a certain way. We cannot cuss, we cannot gossip, unless it's in the form of a prayer request, then it's okay. Then we can gossip about people as much as we want. We don't even realize how sinful these things can be especially with the gossip side of things, as long as you phrase it with, like, I would normally not say this, but, or the only reason I'm sharing this is because I know you care about them too, and on and on and on. That sin, stop, or have you heard, 
Why are, you stu- why are you saying that? Do you even have permission to share these things? Do you know it is factual before you are sharing these things? The reality is, is oftentimes the, the answer is no. And beyond that, it's simple. Stop. Christians practicing a saving faith are actively trying to bridle their tongues. Not even mature Christians. Why? Because we go back to James 1.26. It says, if you aren't trying to bridle your tongues, you're deceiving yourself. So forget about even the mature Christian part. Just Christians practicing a saving faith are actively trying to bridle their tongues. So the question becomes, what does that mean for us? Sure, something is sinful, so we should stop doing sinful things, right? We should do our best to become more like Jesus. Why is this important, though? Right? Who cares if you throw around swear words when you're at work? That's how everybody talks. Right? Or who cares if you gossip when you see people from church? That's how you relate well to people. Or who cares if, you aren't, or if you're not talking about Jesus? You don't want to offend anybody. Right? The words that we use or don't use actually speaks to the state of our heart. Matthew 12, 34, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how do you speak when you're frustrated? How do you speak when you're sad? Or how do you speak when you're around a specific group of people? Our words reveal the inner state of our heart. So if your go-to is to swear or your go-to is to curse or your go-to is to lie or whatever it may be, that is an indication of the spiritual state of your heart. Our, re- our words reveal that. And oftentimes it's not about even what you're doing that will catch people's attention. It's about what you aren't doing. Right? Tell me what it looked like if you were the only person at work who didn't cuss. Right? I know this is a big deal for a lot of you who are you know, kind of more blue-collar workers and that sort of thing. It's a big one. But simply not engaging in the same language as the rest of the people at work allows you to stand out from everyone else, giving you a platform to do what? Talk about Jesus. Right? Or tell me what it would look like if while everybody else was gossiping, probably in a small group or probably wherever, and you chose not to partake, not to pile on, or even to ask them to stop talking about others while they aren't there. Asking the question, is this helpful? Did you have permission to say this? And man, that's hard, but that's where growth comes from, is difficult, hard conversations. No, what happens? You've gained a new respect in people's eyes, which then can in turn give you a platform to, that's right, talk about Jesus. But we have to realize that none of this is possible by us simply not cussing or simply trying harder or simply doing our best to make sure that, man, I've got enough self-control to be able to control my tongue. Now, the only way we can bridle our tongue is by allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our lives. And our prayer should then be that of Psalm 51.10. Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and, and renew a right spirit within me. Okay, so let's do something. Let's stack Matthew 12, 34 on top of Psalm 51, 10, where Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the overflow of the heart, the, ma- the mouth speaks. And then Psalm 51, 10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew an upright spirit within me. When you stack those two things on top of each other, what are we seeing here? We're seeing that the only way for us to be able to have words that are clean, to be able to bridle our tongue, is for us to have the Spirit of God renew our hearts, to cleanse our hearts in a very real way. It's not about how hard you try. It is about how much you are abiding in Christ that is going to change you. Right? Remember, James 3.8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. 
So if we took that at face value, we would just assume to ourselves that there's no point in trying then. I'm a human, and if I can't, it says I can't, the Bible says I can't tame my tongue. Correct. On your own, you are not able to tame your, tame your tongue. But the spirit of the living God who has taken up residence inside of you, if you have said yes to him and come to a saving faith in him, renews your heart. That's the reality of it. Trying harder is not sufficient. What you need is a new heart, a heart that can only be given to us by Jesus Christ. How can we receive that new heart then? By confessing your sins, including your evil words, including, including your sinful words, and by receiving his grace and forgiveness. Right? Realize that, that as you spend time with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to create in you a clean heart. You should be, your life should be changing. You should become, be becoming more and more like Jesus. You should become, the, the, the theological way is become, or word is to become more sanctified in Jesus, become more holy, more like him every single day as you abide more and more in Christ. The church should be known for changed lives. Like if you come to church and you've said yes to Jesus because you prayed the ABCs at some point and your life has not changed, like my guess is you probably haven't come to a saving faith in Christ. If you don't look more like Jesus today than you did at the same point last year, my guess is you may not have come to a saving faith in Jesus. Because the church, we should be known for changed lives. So what would it look like if we stopped trying to white-knuckle good deeds, if we stopped simply trying to use our self-control to be able to, to tame our tongue, and we more relied on the Spirit of God to come and renew us like he says he will throughout the Gospels, throughout the, the Pauline epistles? Like your words matter because Jesus matters. And so in order to have a renewed heart, it starts by your acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, the Bible says that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. Romans talks specifically about that and tells us that the wages of sin is death, meaning that if you have sinned, if you've cussed, if you've gossiped, if you've slandered, if you've you know, spoken out in malice, whatever it may be, if you've done any of those things, the wages of that is death. That's what you deserve, a spiritual death, meaning you have, if you've sinned in your life, we deserve death. But God, being caring and God being compassionate, he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. Jesus was raised from the dead, and before he left to go sit at the right hand of God, he said, don't worry. I'm sending somebody else who is going to be greater even than I, his spirit, to take up residence inside of you. And what is the responsibility of the spirit? To continue to point us back towards Jesus and looking like him, to renew our hearts, to call on him, to do all of those things. It's not so we can just be like, you know what, I'm going to be more self-controlled. Holy Spirit, help me be more self-controlled. No, Holy Spirit, renew my heart so I don't have the desire to do these things anymore. That should be our goal. That should be our prayer. And that starts with all of those things. It starts with the profession of faith. And we do the ABCs here and we'll pray for those in just a second. Okay, but I want you to recognize in order for your words to be reined in, the state of your heart has to be renewed. And the only person who can renew the state of your heart is God. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, God, man, I thank you for James and the reminder that our words matter, that the things that we say matter, that whether we are encouraging somebody or worshiping you or we're slandering people and gossiping and doing all of those other things, God, that's sinful. God, I pray we would honor you with our lips. 
that we would just be a spring of fresh water. That people would come to know you because of the words that we are professing. And so God, just this morning, I would just send your spirit, allow your spirit to just convict our hearts in here right now for whatever sin that that is, whatever sin of the tongue that we are dealing with. Maybe for some it's it's the actual words that they use, it's swearing, or maybe for others it's gossip, or maybe for others it's exaggeration. Maybe for others it's just simply talking too much or talking before they have all of the information they need. I don't know what it is, God, but allow your spirit to speak to us right now. And God, I pray that even in just a second, as we talk about the ABCs and choosing to live like you, I pray that whether you have been a Christian for the last 50 years of your life or whether you're going to make a profession of faith today for the very first time, God, that we would be willing to use our words to glorify you, to glorify your name and not harm it. So with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you this morning and you've not yet said yes to Jesus and you think to yourself, you know what, the wages of sin is death and there is a Savior who came for me. And I don't want to die a spiritual death. If that's you this morning, I'd ask you to just simply pray along with me. But also, like I said, if you need to re-up with Jesus, if you're somebody who's just allowing your tongue to just change you for the worse, if that's you, I'd ask you to pray along as well. Simply repeat after me and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I recognize that my sin has earned me death. But B, I believe you sent your Son on my behalf. You sent your Son to die on my behalf. So I wouldn't have to. And Father, I would choose to follow you every single day to honor you with my words, to honor you with my life. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.